Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast, in which I'm joined by Simon Elliott, Head of Investment Trust Research at Winterflood Securities, to chew over what's been happening this week in the markets and more specifically in the investment trust sector. I think it's fair to say, Simon, to kick off that this has been a week when things have begun to settle down a little bit and investors have paused for second thoughts about where we're going with the virus and with the economy and with the valuation of their companies. That's absolutely right. It has been a more subdued week, I think, for the market. Uh, It will end down a little bit on the week. And we've seen that for investment trust companies as well. Discounts have widened out a little bit, probably started the week at 8% overall, probably nearer to 9% by the, the end of the week. And also we're seeing trading volumes fall. But, you know, to put that into context, they're probably now at the level they were at the start of the year. Uh, going back to uh, the middle of March, when, when we were really in that, the eye of the storm, trading volumes were double what you'd normally expect. So it feels that there is a degree of normality back in the marketplace, though. Um, it's the new normality, I think it's probably fair to say. Right. So on average, I think the, the average investor trust, as we said before, is down about 15% year to date, something like that. And we're kind of steady around that level at the moment. But of course, there have been a lot of differences between the sectors and between individual trusts, as we've been discussing the last few weeks. And one of the big features of the last uh, few days, anyway, has been the rather dramatic goings on in the oil market, where we've seen oil prices really tumble. At some point, some oil was being uh, sold at negative prices, which I think has not happened for uh, an extraordinarily long time, and indeed is something of a strange concept. What's your take on that? And what's the impact been on, on the different sectors in the investment trust world? I mean, you're absolutely right. Again, the oil price has been the big story for markets this week. And, uh, you know, you may mention to the futures contract that actually ended in negative territory. But really, most people will look at the price of a barrel of Brent crude. And we've seen that in just a week fall from $28, which is already an incredibly low level, to below 20 It's recovered a little bit. But uh, oil pricing has been really, uh, this is unimaginable territory. And it's reflective of uh, oversupply of oil and a given uh, weak demand, and also people's fears over the uh, global uh, economy going forward. In terms of the investment companies sector, we do have uh, a number of investment trust companies exposed to oil or oil companies through many different means. I mean, many investment companies will have holdings in, in BP and Shell, particularly those who invest in the UK, clearly. Um, and it's fair to say that they, their share prices have not been as volatile as the oil price itself is a bit more to them than including just uh, the price of the commodity. Um, but it is a significant uh, headwind. Um, you know, we've got a few more specialist plays in the energy sector. And, the, you know, BlackRock run a, a couple of uh, commodity funds and actually an energy uh, investment company as well. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a tougher period for those, those types of investments. But really, the question is, in terms of the major oil companies in the UK is, Shell and BP and, and uh, companies of that sort, will they be able to maintain their dividend levels? Because they're now actually doing quite a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the dividends payable by the UK marketplace. Yes, they're a significant factor in themselves. BP and Shell alone, I think, account for a significant proportion of the dividends paid by companies in the, uh, in the UK market. And it's very lopsided in the UK, particularly compared to some other countries. So it is a significant factor. And that will therefore, I guess, impinge quite significantly on many of the equity income trusts that uh, hope to pay out uh, dividends this year and have done for many years. What have they been saying this year? These uh, companies have been increased their dividends. I think there's 11 have increased them for more than 40 years running. 
which is quite an impressive record. And some of them we've heard from uh, this week, I think. FNC and Alliance, for example, are two of the biggest ones, well known to many, many individual investors as well as uh, institutional investors. And what have they been saying? How are they being impacted by this? To be honest, the message has been pretty positive that's come out from both those companies. Uh, and we've seen other investment trust companies such as uh, Merchants and the J.P. Morgan Claverhouse Fund. Um, they're basically all saying the same thing, that they, they recognize that we're in an incredibly difficult environment at the moment, and they are likely to see uh, cuts or falls in terms of the revenue that they receive. But at the same time, they're very cognizant of the reason why shareholders own those investment trust companies. In other words, that fantastic dividend record that many of, the, many of those investment companies have been able to generate. And so they've been quite clear in their message that they, their intention, their clear intention is that they wish to not only just to preserve their dividends at the current levels, but to increase. Um, and when you talk about those records of consecutive years of dividend increases, uh, I mean, it's uh, F&C Alliance Trust, but City of London actually holds the record. I think they're up to about 53 years now of uh, consecutive years of, of dividend increases. And clearly, they want to preserve those records. They're a very precious thing. And, and, and again, at the same time, we have investors who are quite attractive to that, that promise. But again, as always, there is a caveat to all these things. You know, if this crisis were to go on uh, into 2021, and in terms of uh, dividends not returning to their kind of normalized levels, then, then the pressure on these investment trust companies will grow greater. But so far, the messaging has been very positive. Because I think it's fair to say that, uh, as we discussed before, several of these uh, investment trusts have significant revenue reserves to cover their uh, potential dividends. Most of them have you know, a year plus or minus a bit of in terms of how much revenue reserves they have. But even they couldn't withstand, as you say, a sustained fall in dividend income. I mean, I think most people are thinking about a term of 30% decline this year, which would leave most of the uh, investment companies still with some reserves left. But it's not something that could go on indefinitely, as you say. You're right, of course, but it's a little bit dependent on the level of dividends. So in the case of uh, Alliance Trust, they're yielding about 2% at the moment. Uh, FNC will probably be around 3%. But if you look at um, a UK equity income name such as Merchants, it's a lot higher. So if, they, if any of those investment trust companies decide to convert an element of their capital into income in order to preserve the dividends, if your alliance trust, say, and, and they've got fantastic revenue reserves, so this feels a long way off, but they could look at it in the context of a 2% yield and say, well, you know, we could put a bit of our capital towards that. If you if you're, have a 5 or 6% yield, then that's quite a lot more. That's a, that's a bigger hurdle to overcome. And I think investment trust companies will be just just wary of that. That'll be in the back of their minds, even given their revenue reserves. But it, it's, it really depends to how long this process takes to kind of work through. Um, if we see dividends coming back on, online towards the end of this year or, or in 2021, then I think most investment trust companies will be well placed. Yes, it would take something quite dramatic to, to put those at risk, I would say. What about, uh, have you heard any more from any property companies in the last uh, few days? We know that they obviously have a slightly different problem because their income is dependent not on dividends from other companies, but from tenants of their buildings, mostly paying their rent on time. Uh, what's been the story there? We've already heard about uh, some property companies facing or cautioning they might have to cut their dividends and other ones saying that they're hanging on for now. What's, what, have we, what have we heard more recently? What's the picture as, as of today? So this week we heard from Standard Life Investments Property Income, um, and they provided a, a very helpful update actually in terms of where they're at and, and the experience in terms of rent collection. So 
the upshot is that they are paying their uh, Q1 dividend. They're, they're maintaining that, but they did caution that they're going to have to review it for the, the second quarter of this year, and that's on the basis of the, the outlook for rent collection. So I think the, the, the numbers that they gave around about 70, 75% has been collected in for, for Q1. So they'll take a view on that and they can use a, uh, you know, a little bit of capital reserves to make good the shortfall. But it, they know that when they get into the second quarter and beyond this year, it's going to be a lot more difficult. And I, I, I think that feels quite a pragmatic approach. And, and we'd expect that to be a common experience for most of those type of property companies. Before we leave the issue of uh, dividends, it's quite interesting. We had something which I haven't, can't recall having heard in, in this context before for quite some time, which is we actually had the directors on one of the boards of the Investor Trust saying that they were going to cut their own fees by, uh, as a result of what their investors are going through. Uh, I mean, is that a PR gimmick or is that uh, something you would expect to see others uh, volunteering to do as well? Well, uh, it was an interesting development. Uh, you don't expect uh, directors normally to vote for pay cuts, he said slightly cynically. No, I mean, look, we've obviously seen a number of executive directors in operating companies across the UK market uh, take pay cuts or you know, some kind of pay suspension during this very difficult period. Um, for non-executive directors of investment trust companies, um, this is a, a one-off so far. Will it become a pattern? Possibly. I'd be, I'd be a little bit surprised. But you could you could argue that at least they've aligned themselves to the the experience of possibly their investors. Though I think it's actually J.P. Morgan Claverhouse. I think the the thing I would note is at the moment they are um, paying out their dividend. They're sustaining their dividend. Uh, so I think it would be a slightly different story if that were not the case. But we'll see how this one develops. I mean, one has to say I think I mean the average you know director of a investor trust gets between about twenty five thousand and thirty thousand a year, something like that, and they've reduced it for a quarter rather than for the whole year. So we're if you actually work that out, that's that's about uh, that's just over a thousand pounds. Well, I suppose it's something to uh, to to placate uh, the well on the NAV performance. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference to the NAV boys. But anyway, well, credit to them anyway for getting attention for that, if nothing else. What else could we talk about? Well, there's been um, another update from a private equity investment trust, which I think is uh, a sector where. It is a bit more specialist and sophisticated, uh, but a number of uh, private investors certainly do have holdings in these, the bigger private equity investment trusts. Obviously, their results, uh, their NAVs are only updated sort of laterally. Uh, they take quite a long time to come out because they're not quoted companies. So what's been the story this week in, in that sector? So we had an update from Standard Life Private Equity, which is a fund of private equity funds. So it's a very diversified portfolio of 400 or so underlying companies. Um, and the, the way that Aberdeen Standard uh, run that is that they will allocate to the actual private equity firms who, who will make the investments for them. There was a couple of key messages in the in the case of that particular fund, the Standard Life Fund. Uh, they emphasised that their balance sheet was, was in good shape. It was strong, that they had cash ready to deploy, that they, they, they hadn't geared up. And to be honest, that's pretty much the common experience across many of those listed private equity funds. Possibly even more interesting is the experience at the underlying levels, how are these underlying uh, companies faring. And again, it's, it's possibly a little bit too early to tell. Um, to your point about valuations, we're, we're going to be some way through the year before we really know how these, these companies are faring. It might be the case that a number will need uh, additional financing. Uh, and certainly Standard Life and other uh, investors in, in private equity are, are standing ready to provide that as necessary. But in terms of their of their operation, it's almost too early to tell because it's not just about where they are at this moment in time. It's how quickly they can resume their normal operations. 
I mean, clearly there'll be a small number that that will be uh, continuing to operate and, and uh, you know, delivering good numbers, but a lot are effectively mothballed businesses. So we won't know for a little bit of time exactly where they stand. So in a sense, the, the market is already discounting what is going to happen. That's why the discounts have widened quite significantly or the or what appear to be the discounts on these uh, some of these private equity trusts have widened quite significantly, but effectively they're just looking ahead to what they expect the NAV to do to some extent, I imagine. Sure, and, and absolutely correct. So uh, if you look at the discounts on, on the private equity funds, I mean, obviously they vary to a greater or lesser extent, but it's, it's almost as the, the market is assuming, you know, broadly speaking, 20% NAV falls from their uh, end of 2019 position, which is the valuations that we have, the latest valuations that we have at the moment, to where they might end up as at the end of March or even at the end of June. So that's where the market is at the moment. And to be honest, that's broadly in line with how the overall public markets have done. As you said at the at the outset, markets are off 20, 25% this, this, so far this year, and that's what's been priced in for those two private equity funds. So just be very careful when you look at the, the apparent discounts on some of those listed private equity funds, because they are on stale valuations. Another thing that came out, we talked about briefly uh, last week, was about the news that uh, Alice Monday had uh, taken leave of absence from uh, managing the Temple Bar Investment Trust, another uh, well-known and popular investment trust, uh, because of illness, not related to the virus. And now we see this week the, the board had actually served notice on the uh, managers of the trust that they were thinking of changing the management team. Now, some people said that was rather kind of, uh, how do we put it, um, not very perhaps uh, polite. Mr. Mondays had to, you know, take leave of absence and almost immediately they give the management group a period of notice uh, because they're reviewing the management arrangements. Did that surprise you? And is that is that something you've seen before? It did surprise me. Um, it, it's a tricky one because you're right. There will be some people who look at this. And I think the board acted with unseemly haste, I think one way of expressing it. But at the same time, other people would argue that it shows the independence of boards of investment trust, that they are acting in the best interests of shareholders. And it's a 12-month it's a notice period. So by serving protective notice, you effectively get the, the ball rolling on that. And the board of Temple Bar have made it clear that just because they've served protective notice, it does not necessarily mean that the manager will change. So this is different to perpetual income and growth, where, as you may, may remember, uh, Mark Barnett and, and Invesco were, were served notice um, a few weeks ago, and the board made it clear there will be a change of manager there. But from a, an investor, from a shareholder's point of view, it does make it tricky because ultimately you, you're not entirely sure where the future of Temple Bar lies. You know, will it will it stay with the incumbent management team, and it's been taken over by the two gentlemen who've worked with Alistair for a number of years and, and share the same approach, so a value controlling approach, or are we going to see something different? Um, time will tell. But I think what you can say is that after the end of last year, when Edinburgh Investment Trust, which was another one of Mark Barnett and Vesco's mandates, went to Majady, perpetual income and growth will move and we'll, we'll find out in, in the next two or three months where that's going to go. And now possibly Temple Bar. You know, these are three of the biggest names in the UK equity income space. And the one thing they all have in common is that they've all been managed historically with a very value orientated approach. And frankly, that's been a really tough, tough investment approach in, in these kind of market conditions. Uh, you know, Temple Bar has struggled this year. So again, investors in a, in a difficult position in this one, what to do? Do they sit tight and wait for the board to provide an update or do they think about uh, pursuing different options? 
Yes, that's an interesting debating point there. I mean, the whole issue of value, value versus growth, different styles of investing, some of them are in favor and some of them are not at different periods of time. I have to say I have a personal view about this, which is that it has a lot to do with the prevailing level of real interest rates and the cost of money and so on. There does seem to be quite a good correlation between those two factors and whether or not value or growth is doing well. But there have been false storms when people thought the interest rates are going to go up at the end of 2018. Then people like Alistair Monday and others uh, had a little kick up in performance. But at the moment, looking ahead with the virus as well, it's impossible to see uh, interest rates coming back very quickly. I think from here, it would be very surprising. Eventually they will because there's so much uh, government debt being issued, they'll have to start rising in due course. But it's, uh, it's very difficult because if you're the manager of a, of a trust that has a value style, uh, you might say, well, why don't they just change their style and go to growth because that's where the action is at the moment. But I guess the problem there is, of course, that many investors invest in these trusts precisely because they are pursuing a valuation style. So it's actually very difficult to change course in midstream without losing some of the investors who have backed you for that reason. So essentially, they, have, they really have little option but to carry on, do they not? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. We'll find out. And that's, and that's the dilemma for shareholders at the moment. In which direction will, will Temple Bar go? We'll find out. Yeah. And the performance has been pretty poor. I mean, it's been rather dramatically poor, it has to be said, over the last few months. Uh, worse than many others who are pursuing a valuation style. We'll have to see that as time goes by. Simon, I think that's all we, we've got time for this week been very helpful to have your comments as always and we look forward to hearing more next week when either things will continue to settle down or we'll get some more volatility but let's hope it's the uh, the former rather than the latter many thanks for your time again this week simon thank you this has been a money makers investment trust podcast these podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels you can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening, and please keep safe in these difficult times.